welcome to Mother of Dogs, the podcast for pet lovers who want to live their best life alongside their fur babies. I'm Tina, dog mom to Winnie and Chloe, my two French bulldogs who bring fun and chaos wherever they go. If you want to hear stories from modern pet parents about how they navigate life and business with their furry friend, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, Amanda. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me on. I've had wag boards at Winnie and Chloe's birthday parties, and it's always a big hit with the dogs, but also the humans. For those who don't know, what are wag boards? So wag boards are doggy charcuterie boards. So it's charcuterie boards for dogs. So it's made with high quality novel proteins, as well as preservative free dog cookies. And then I arrange them on a little board similar to the human charcuterie board experience. So it's a really fun way to treat your pet to something a little bit different. What inspired you to create Wagboards and when did you start? Yeah, so I started um, at the end of 2020 and it basically was a combination of my love for food and my love of dogs. So my husband and I, we attended a wedding and after the ceremony, there wasn't a reception and instead we got little uh, take-home charcuterie boxes to go. And so sitting in our family room couch, eating my snacks, you know, eating my brie, eating my crackers. I look at the dogs. I look at, you know, the snacks that I was eating. And I thought, what if there were charcuterie boards for dogs? And my partner, he was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of that's creative. Um, So then I decided to text my sister, who is also, you know, dog obsessed like I am. And she responded in all caps. And she was like, oh, my gosh, what is that? Where can I buy one? And so after that exchange, I started, you know, thinking about it a little bit more and then decided, you know what? let's let's make this a small business and and see what happens. And, you know, here we are, you know, halfway through 2023 and still going strong. Amazing. So it's safe to say your family and your husband was supportive. <laughs> yes. I think initially it was kind of like, oh, this is like a cute idea. Like, we'll see what happens. And then, you know, as the business has gained traction outside of just family and friends, it's like, oh, no, this could this could really be a thing. So, yes, they've been lovely and very supportive. Awesome. Tell me about your life before Wagboards. Did you grow up with dogs and what were you doing professionally? Yes. So I did grow up with dogs. Um, I remember, I think I was 12 or 13 when we got our first family pet and I was so excited. And so, you know, I've been around dogs my whole life and have dogs, you know, through, through my adult life as well. And so, yeah, I've a very avid dog lover. I love everyone else's dogs. I'm one of those folks. And there's probably other people out there like this too, where, you know, on Instagram, there's like dog accounts or pet accounts. And there's oftentimes where I will remember a person's or the dog's name before the person's name. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's, that's definitely me. (laughs) So funny. I'm the same way. Did you always have an entrepreneurial spirit? Um, I... I guess yes and no. I'm, I've always been a creative person. And so um, I haven't always been an entrepreneur. So to go back to your um, earlier question, I actually do still have a full-time job. So I work at a university. And so, you know, for me, that is, that's not an entrepreneurial job. And I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. But I've always had kind of a creative, you know, part of my brain that I've always tried to, you know, nurture and and support. And so this is my first venture into being, you know, entrepreneur, being a small business owner. There was a pretty steep learning curve, um, but, you know, it's been fun to learn and grow along the way. When you were initially thinking about wag boards, did you think of it as something that you could just create for your dogs? When did it shift to this could actually be a little business? Was that immediate or did that take time after experimentation? Yeah, that's a great question. So yes, I had been making my own like doggy charcuterie boards for my own dogs at the time. Um, And then, you know, when this idea was sparked and I decided to jump into being a small business, I wasn't really sure what the reception would be, you know, for people who are not my friends and family. And so I started out small and I started out with local deliveries in the metro Atlanta area, which is where I'm based. And so you know, my first weekend, I remember like driving around and really it was like driving and making deliveries to, you know, friends and family who were like, oh, I want to support. I want to, you know, I want to get aboard. Um, and then that word spread pretty quickly, I think through social media, really, mainly through Instagram. 
And once I started posting, there were there were a lot of folks, you know, outside the Metro Atlanta area who were like, wait a second, I want this. Like, how do I get this? And then, you know, people I didn't know started ordering and I thought, oh, I think I think this can be a small business, you know. And so once I realized that other people were, you know, as obsessed with their dogs <laughs> as I am, I thought, OK, I think I think this will work um, very early into my small business journey, I had the great fortune to be featured in the New York Times. And that was really what catapulted, you know, me going from a small business in the metro Atlanta area to thinking about how I could create a non-perishable board to ship, you know, across the United States. And so if it if it weren't for that feature in the New York Times, I don't, maybe I would have eventually gotten to, you know, shipping nationwide, but that really was the catalyst for me thinking bigger and, and thinking, wow, I, there are people that would be really interested in this beyond just Metro Atlanta. So that was the big thing that I think really planted the seed for me to think bigger and dream bigger and realize that I could I could make this uh, successful. How did the feature come to be? Yeah, so I um, connected with a couple of writers um, in the Metro Atlanta area over Instagram. So yeah, power of social media. Um, and the writer who did the feature, Leah, she reached out and said, Hey, I want to interview you. I'm doing, um, a feature or an article on charcuterie boards for dogs. That's what you're doing. I'd love to, you know, you know, interview you and see what happens. And so, you know, this was early COVID. So we hopped on zoom and, and did a call and the whole time I thought, okay, this is cool, but you know, is this really going to make it into the New York times? Like, this is so lovely to speak with the writer you know, maybe it's going to get cut. You know, I was kind of doubting and not really sure. And then on April Fool's Day of all t- days, <laughs> um, it was released online. And I woke up to a flurry of texts from from friends who were like, oh, my gosh, I just read this article in The Times and you are in it. And so then, you know, I go to the link. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it that is me. And the article is posted. And it was it was really lovely. And then it went into print. Um, that following Sunday and I had to drive all the way around, you know, to like a million different gas stations because I didn't know where to buy a newspaper, which is, you know, a sign of the times. And so, yeah, that was so exciting. And, you know, at that point, I was only a few months into my small business. So I was still, you know, learning and again, not shipping nationwide. I was still just servicing the local metro Atlanta area. So that was yeah, that was huge. And that really kind of gave me the confidence to really invest in the small business further. That's amazing. So you're based in Atlanta. Did you grow up there? I didn't. I'm actually originally from the Midwest. So I was born um, east of Detroit in a suburb. I've also lived in the suburbs of like middle Ohio, suburbs of Chicago, and then landed in Metro Atlanta. Awesome. What brought you there? Was it work? Yeah. So my uh, family, so my dad had a job change and we left the Midwest and moved down to Atlanta. Um, I went back up to the Midwest for school and then I came back down to Atlanta um, for for work. What was the biggest challenge in initially starting the business? Was it mindset, sourcing, financial time constraints, because you are also working full time? Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, initially, it was, and maybe was and still is, um, kind of time constraints, right? Figuring out how to do it all as a small business owner of one, right? I don't have any staff or a team it's really time consuming, right? To be like, you're the product photography, your customer service, your technology, your, I'm making new boards, right? I'm, I'm curating all the snacks and sourcing, you know, shipping. And so it's, it's a lot. And obviously this is, you know, a labor of love for me. But I think when I first started this business, I realized that this was going to take a lot of time. And in order for this to be a successful business and for me to still commit fully to my full-time job, I had to learn how to you know, set boundaries and build a schedule that worked best for for my professional life and then also my personal life, right? I didn't want my small business to completely consume me and, you know, erase other important, you know, hats that I wear, you know, as a friend or a sister or a wife. And so for me, it was really having those like hard discussions with myself. Okay, what am I going to do to set boundaries to make sure that I can you know, meet the needs of of my customers, meet the needs of my job, meet the needs, you know, of my personal life. And that was really hard at first because I wanted to do everything all at once. I, you know, said yes to so many opportunities with lag boards um, and then was like, oh no, now, now I have to figure out how to do all of this. So yeah, I think 
I think time constraint probably was the biggest one and probably still continues to be the biggest thing. Once the article was released in the New York Times and you received that flurry of messages and support, was there a lot of demands that you were unprepared for? How was that? Yeah, that was it was really interesting because I had so many lovely folks who would send me an email and be like, hey, I read your you know, article in the Times, you know, I see you're based in Atlanta, but I live in Colorado or I live in California. You know, I live in Chicago. How can I, you know, get one of your boards? And so that started, you know, this whole flurry of research to figure out what I could do initially. And so this is this is actually kind of fun to share. So in terms of product development, initially, I was going in the direction of thinking about how to ship my perishable boards, which have like cheese, cucumbers, you know, strawberries. And I very quickly learned when I did product sourcing and shipping material sourcing that that would be wildly expensive, right? Like I'm not HelloFresh or those, you know, meal delivery services where they come with, you know, ice packs and all that stuff. And I realized very quickly that I couldn't scale in that direction. And so my pivot was to come up with a non-perishable version of the board. And then I did a whole bunch of like product testing and development, you know, in my, you know, dining room, you know, table where I thought, okay, if I did this, would this last? If I did this, would the treats move around? And finally, after you know developing all of that, I came to the conclusion that I could do a non-perishable board and then I could vacuum seal it so that it would be um, fresh for, for folks. It was a very interesting time of like figuring out how I could scale because I didn't want to rush it and send people, you know, a poor quality or, you know, I don't want to ship cheese in a box. Like that would be awful, right? That would probably get gross. And so I really had to sit and think about, okay, what's the best way to scale to meet the demands of other folks who really want to, you know, experience something fun and new for their dogs. So yeah, that was, it was a lot. And I feel like I spent so much time, you know, like in the evenings after work, just like, okay, what's next? What else can I do? How can I package this? And I have like so many, I'm probably still all around my house, like little packages of one of like samples of boxes, samples of, you know, boards, like vacuum sealing or shrink wrap and all this stuff, kind of testing that out. Um, But I finally landed on something that I felt really proud of. And so um, that article came out in, I want to say spring. And by that summer, I had developed and and tested a product that I felt confident would be good for shipping. And so that's been kind of my method uh, ever since. So did you keep a wait list? because there was a little bit of a timeline in between that. Yeah, so I basically let everyone know at the time that that lived out of state. I was like, thank you so much for your interest. You know, I'm working on developing another product. So just kind of hang tight. And then I just had, this is not even high tech. I just had an Excel spreadsheet of the people that sent me emails. And then when I finally, you know, got back to being able to ship um, nationally, I just sent a little email to each person like, hey, thanks so much. You know, a couple months ago, you reached out and you're interested in, purchasing and now I have a non-perishable, you know, version. So if you're interested in supporting, you know, here you go. And that's that's how I handled it. It was very, I guess, grassroots where I just kind of kept a little list of email addresses and and had a little email template ready to go and I was ready to ship um, and kind of directed folks to my website at that time. You started in 2020 during the pandemic? It was, yeah. So late 2020. So it was um, you know, it was a, a wild time for everybody. <laughs> and so Starting a small business in the middle of a pandemic maybe would not be advisable, <laughs> but, you know, we all love our dogs and we were spending so much more time with our dogs, right? In a time of great stress, I know from, for myself, my dogs were kind of my, my lifeline, right? They really improved my mental health during a really tough time. And so I know that's true for other people as well. And so I really do think that was why it still worked out, you know, creating a small business for dog treats. I, I think that was it ended up being successful because our love for dogs is timeless, right? And so, you know, we we want to spoil them. We want to give them the best. And so thankfully that kind of survived the test of, of COVID because that, yeah, that was a very real and, you know, legitimate concern. Did you do market research before jumping into creating the business? Yeah, I guess, well, light, light market research. So my version of research was just like Googling and Instagramming, you know, like, okay, do people do this? And I didn't see, you know, anyone with a small business at the time doing it. And so I thought, oh, okay. Like I've seen pictures of other people doing, um, you know, their own versions. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to 
do this, make it a small business and, and, you know, think of a way that can make me stand out um, from people who are doing it at home. And so that was very like light market research for me. I thought my love of food and my love of dogs would be enough to like drive this um, business to success. Obviously, there's so much more, you know, than just the passion part. Um, so, yeah, my research was really kind of just the Internet <laughs> and like like trying to see if other people, you know, were doing this or, you know, what I could do to kind of distinguish myself, you know, in the pet industry. How do people typically find you? If they haven't seen the article already, do you or have you done any advertising besides that? Or is it your social media presence? Yeah, I have been very fortunate to have such a supportive uh, community on social media and primarily through Instagram, which maybe is just like feeding to my millennial tendencies. Um, but, you know, I, I started an account um, on Instagram. I started connecting with you know, dog lovers, small business owners, um, like the human charcuterie board accounts. And the feedback I received was was really was really lovely. Right. And so I haven't really spent any money on ads. I get a lot of requests from folks for like influencer marketing or like UGC, which is really lovely. And I, and I see the value in it, but I actually haven't really spent any money on advertising. I know, you know, in the future, if I think about scaling, that might be something I need to um, in, invest in a little bit more, but I've just been really thankful that people who have come across Wagboards have loved the concept, whether it's, you know, just supporting through social media or who've ordered and spread the word to their friends. And by that, you know, power of word of mouth and social media, this business has continued to thrive, which is really amazing. Um, I have spent a little more time this year kind of focusing on PR and trying to, you know, make sure that other people, you know, know about me in the pet industry or just, you know, nationally through through media. As you mentioned, partnering with human charcuterie companies, that's a great idea. How has that worked for you? Yeah, so I really love chatting with uh, my local charcuterie businesses. I mean, uh, you know, for me, I didn't come up with like charcuterie, right? Like none of us did. That's, that's existed mm -hmm. for years. And so I find a lot of my inspiration for folks from folks who do the charcuterie boards. And so and my local boards, you know, I have a little cucumber rose and I learned that technique from a friend that uses, you know, makes like veggie roses on her, you know, charcuterie boards. Um, you know, I've I've kind of like learned a lot through charcuterie accounts as well as kind of food styling and, and reading a lot about food trends, um, culinary trends. And anytime I read something for, you know, human food, I think, OK, how can I do the dog safe version? for dogs. And, and, you know, I get this, like dogs are, you know, they're colorblind. Maybe they can't see everything. Maybe they don't appreciate, you know, the, the curating of, of all the goods that, you know, the wag boards, yes, it's for the dog, but it's also for the human. Right. And so similar to, you know, having friends over and doing a wine and cheese night with the charcuterie board, like why not for dogs? And so, yeah, I find a lot of inspiration from the food industry, from the culinary world. There are so many people out there who are doing really innovative things with food that really inspire me and, and help me think creatively uh, in the dog industry. I love that. What percentage of your business do you think comes from your social media presence? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I It's a good chunk. So the last time I checked kind of uh, website traffic, I think about 75% of my sales were directed from social media, mainly Instagram, but also you know, TikTok, Facebook, um, and maybe linking back from uh, articles. So other people's websites. Um, so about 75%, which is huge, right? Like that's a really big chunk. And then 25% would probably be everything else. So word of mouth or when I do in-person events, um, you know, people just sharing my business card with other people or other, uh, you know, pet stores, you know, sharing about me and getting the word out. So it's it's been really remarkable because I know, you know, there's a lot of information about social media and how it's like bad, um, which, you know, I'm sure I agree, but also there's been a lot of good and there's been just a lot of lovely conversations that I've had with my customers over social media, over Instagram that have developed into really lovely friendships and, and connections that I would have never had if I didn't have a social media presence. I think social media is really hard to balance. At least I have difficulty with that. 
Um, how much of your time do you spend on social media, content creation, things like that? Yeah, I think that first year I went in super hard. And so any waking hour that I wasn't working my full-time job or like eating or sleeping, I'm like, all right, I got to film this and and do this and and write copy and, and all of that. And it was a lot, right? So it's like, you know, a few hours each day, daily, and then weekly, and then monthly, that leads to burnout. And so now that I've been doing this business for almost three years, I've kind of learned how to streamline my processes with content creation. And so I always, you know, I am always trying to film things, B-roll and and anything that I can use um, for, you know, reels and video type format. In terms of posting, I mean, I think I used to post daily, which was a lot, which maybe contributed to social media growth, which is great, but that's not long-term. It wasn't sustainable for me. So now I don't think I post, I think I post maybe a few times each week, um, you know, reels or posts or, you know, in stories on Instagram and then very sporadically on my other social media platforms because it is hard, right? Like you said, it's, it's kind of a love hate where it's like, it's a never ending game to try to figure out, you know, what's trending. Um, so I really go back to my roots and try to focus on creating content that speaks to the small business, that speaks to me as the human, you know, behind running the small business. Um, I don't take myself too seriously on social media. Like it is what it is. You know, here I am. I'm running a business. This is what I do. You know, if you like it, follow along. And if you don't, that's that's fine too. Um, so yeah, it's been, it has been challenging, but I've set better boundaries, I think. And I've planned a little bit better um, in recent years so that I'm not spending all my time on my phone. But admittedly, I am still on my phone a lot. So it's a work in progress. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you feel pressure with social media metrics? I think initially, yes. And and now it's more on just making sure that whatever content I put out there kind of delivers some sort of mes message that aligns with my small, small business, then I'm happy, right? And so like, yes, we all want something to go viral. In fact, I, I did have like a reel I made go viral a week after I made it completely unintentionally. I just, you know, put something out. I think I was just on my phone. I'm like, oh, let me just put some text over this video. And then it went viral, which was great. But also like I had to really stop myself from getting sucked into like the metrics of a viral video. Right. And so it's OK, well, you know, now I'm nurturing a, a new community of folks who don't you know, maybe don't know me as well. You know, what does that look like? What does that mean? But I'm trying not to like chase the highs of numbers and really trying to stick to my roots and my foundation of, you know, it's not how many views someone gets. It's if I feel proud of the work that I put out there, if I feel good about the content or if it portrays my small business in a way that I want it to, that to me is successful. And, you know, if I can engage with my community of folks and followers, that that feels good too. Um, but it is really hard, right? You know, going back to your point about, um, you know, the pros and cons or the love and hate of social media, it can be really easy to get like sucked into those metrics. Um, so I do look at them from time to time because it does give me feedback on on what people want to see, but I don't hinge my success or worth just on those metrics because there's there's so much more that I think you know adds value where do you get the most orders from is it local or a specific region nationally that's a good question um I think I I still get a good chunk of local just because I do a lot of in-person pop-ups and so a lot of people will you know come in stop by and say hi um there's a couple of my like frequent flyer <laughs> customers who like to stop by you know multiple times a year and say hi so it's always so lovely to see their dogs in person so that's like a a good percentage of folks are from the metro atlanta area then after that i would say probably like new york new jersey and then california uh, in the west coast are, are pretty heavy and then after that it would probably be a split between like the Chicago area and then pockets of Texas. And so it really is all spread out, right? That's there's not um like I think one strongest, but maybe both coasts. So East Coast would be, you know, New York area, West Coast would be California broadly. And then in the middle, you know, I'm I'm split between Chicago area and then um a couple of cities in Texas. So a nice, a nice even spread for uh, for the United States. And then in Canada, I'm I'm also kind of all spread out there too. So I have a couple of customers, um, you know, all in all the different provinces, but probably I'm trying to think where I've shipped most of Canada, probably Quebec, if I'm 
off the top of my head, I think that's probably the province I've shipped most to. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So a lot of repeat customers, of course, I'm one because <laughs> the quality is amazing. Do you find that there are mostly repeat customers? Yeah, I have a good mix of like first time customers and then repeat customers. I love folks who are repeat customers because to me that that's like the biggest compliment, right? To know that like someone trusts me to help them create a really lovely memory with their dog enough to, to do that again. And now that I've been in business long enough, I've gotten to help other people like celebrate their dog's birthdays, right? And so, you know, I started in 2020 and there have been a lot of pandemic pups who celebrated their first birthday in 2021 and they've gotten, you know, like a birthday board or a snack like every year around the same time. And it's so, so humbling to know like I helped someone like celebrate their dog growing up, right? Like celebrating, you know, birthdays are a big deal for people and for dogs. And so, yeah, it's a it's a good mix of repeat customers, but there's also a really good mix of first time customers. And so trying to nurture the relationship for folks who maybe had have just found me in addition to folks who've known me since 2020 or 2021. And so it's been really fun kind of um, balancing, you know, that that act of like, oh, people who like know me and know what I do versus, you know, people, for example, who found me two weeks ago because of the reel that went viral. And it's really interesting, um, you know, to think about like there are people like, who are you? I didn't even know you existed. And then other people were like, oh, yeah, like my dogs have celebrated birthdays or holidays with you, you know, for two or three years now. So it's really it's really cool. And I and I love that part, right? Like developing relationships with with people and getting to see. I Gosh, I love pictures. I love them so much. And so like getting to see people's like pictures and videos of their dogs, you know, celebrating or, you know, celebrating a holiday or a birthday. It's it's just like the best feeling. Oh, I love that. Yeah, you've been at our pup's birthdays and it's again, it's always a hit. And the, really everyone gravitates towards the table and they just stare at the board and they take pictures of the board the whole time. It's so cute. I love um, it. So this is a really important question. Can you tell me about your quality control pups, Nolly and Rocky? <laughs> yes, they're the most important. So I have two quality control pups. Um, they are responsible for taste testing every single treat that goes on the board. Um, and so, you know, if they don't like it, then I'm not going to put it on the board either. Although, let's be honest, I think they've eaten like everything that <laughs> I have tried. So Nolly is, um, she's a farm pup. So she's like a... We think a border collie lab mix. She's like, you know, black with some white spots. So she's kind of like a very generic farm dog. And um, we got her because her mom and another pregnant dog wandered on to my husband's uncle's chicken farm up in North Georgia. So two pregnant dogs wandered onto the same chicken farm and had their puppies. And Nolly was one of those puppies in that mix of two litters. Which is like the wildest story to me that just like two pregnant dogs happen to be in the same place and then have their puppies all at the same time. Um, so, yeah, she's she originally was a farm dog and now she's like a lazy house dog. <laughs> um, and she was born in 2016. So she is what is that math? She's like seven now. Uh, and then Rocky is um, the newest member to our family. So we adopted him uh, January of 2022. And his story I will try to say this without crying because the story, it makes me so sad. But we were um, on the couch one night looking at like adoptable dogs. We had just lost um, one of our other dogs um, on Christmas Eve to cancer. And so it had been very, you know, it had only been a couple weeks um, and we weren't sure if we were ready to, you know, adopt another dog. Um, and Tony, my partner, he comes across a Facebook post that says like urgent. So this is on a Wednesday night for context. And it says urgent. These 10 dogs are on the euthanasia list for tomorrow, Thursday morning. And he's like scrolling and he and he sees a picture of of Rocky, right? The, the dog that we, you know, now that we have. And he, he looks pretty happy and he's just standing there. But he was like a, they said husky mix. And one of our, or two of our former dogs were also husky mixes. And we thought, oh, that's interesting. Maybe that's kind of like a sign that we should, you know, inquire but this was a Wednesday night, right? Like Wednesday at 8 p.m. And they, you know, his picture was on a list of 10 dogs that were set to be euthanized at the shelter Thursday morning. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, can what can we do? Tony called the shelter Thursday morning and was like, we're interested in uh, 
in in Rocky. Well, his name was Odin, I think before. Yeah. And so we're interested in in this dog. I, you know, I saw on Facebook that he's pulled, you know, he's on a list this morning. Is it too late? And the shelter, oh my gosh. So thankfully they said, if you want to see him, we will hold him if you can come and see him. And so, you know, the shelter was like two and a half hours away, like south from where we were living. And so he said, okay, well, we are about like two and a half hours away. Can you, maybe can you hold him until the weekend? We could come on Saturday. And thankfully the shelter said yes. So they pulled him from the euthanasia list. We drove down there with Nolly to meet him uh, Yeah, on that Saturday. And like Nolly was, she has a lot of anxiety. And so when we got there, she wasn't like the friendliest to Rocky, but we realized it was the circumstance that she was really stressed. Um, and so, you know, when they met, she was kind of like barking at him and he was kind of high energy and barking. We we're like, well, I don't, we don't know what to do. Like if, if we don't take him home, I know what the alternative is. And I don't want that to be the alternative. Um, and so we decided the shelter was like, well, you could foster, you know, and then adopt so you can, you know, bring him home and see if maybe being at home would be a better situation for, for Nolly and Rocky to get along. And so we scooped him up that day and we like fostered him and within a week they both settled down. Um, he got really comfortable in our home. Nolly was like, you know, really interested in him and was like, oh, okay. I, you know, I guess this is another dog in our house. And so I think it was like seven to 10 later, then seven to 10 days later, um, we decided to just adopt him. And so that's how he came to our family. But I really, I just like think about the fact that he was on a euthanasia list because there weren't enough spaces, right, available in that, in that shelter um, down in middle Georgia. And so I'm really thankful that he's part of our family. He's got a lot of funny little quirks, but he's been a really great addition, you know, to our family. Um, and he is a very lovely quality control pup. And so, yeah, Nolly and Rocky are, they're the best. And and so I'm really thankful that they're, they're in our lives as I am for all the prior dogs that I've had in my life before. Wow. What a story. And now he's living his best life with all the treats <laughs> every day. Just, yep. <laughs> wow. That's an incredible story. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yep. So you offer these beautiful culinary experiences for dogs and you consider yourself a foodie um, and a person who lives to eat. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering how that has influenced the way you source the products that you put in these web boards. Yeah, absolutely. So I, yes, I am a self-proclaimed foodie. I love food. I love learning about you know, where the food I eat comes from. I love, you know, reading articles and watching videos about like chefs and where they find their passion. And one of the things that I really love is supporting local when I can. And so, you know, just like chefs, you know, know their suppliers, I know, you know, all my suppliers by name. And so um, what I really took from the culinary world and put into wag boards is is sourcing. And so you know, obviously, you know, we all know the big box stores, you know, the chain stores and, and their their cookies and treats, which is all great. But I take really big pride in sourcing from small business suppliers. And so I try to source local when possible. So, for example, um, I have venison uh, treats on my board right now. Those are sourced and produced locally here in Metro Atlanta. I have coastal Georgia shrimp on my board. So that's from, um, you know, southern coastal Georgia. Um, I have my cookies are made from a small business with a kitchen in Metro Atlanta. And so it's been so lovely to develop these business relationships um, with folks that I really love and admire. And I know, right, I know the ingredients that go in each cookie. I know the ingredients for the proteins. I know everything that goes on the boards because I know the people, right? And so developing that relationship has been really lovely. Um, and the same goes for my small business bakers. So if I can't do local, then I focus on sourcing from fellow small business owners to kind of keep that cycle and circle of small business support growing. And so, you know, I've had a lot of really lovely um, small business bakeries, dog bakeries that I also source from. So, you know, I know them on a personal level. I know their ingredients. I trust what they do. Um, and that kind of is what has stood out, I think, for wag boards and why people really appreciate it is that I try to source novel proteins, right? I have shrimp. I have New Zealand green lip mussels. Sometimes I have tuna. Um, right now I have like quail egg yolk. And so it's not just like the typical stuff that you can find everywhere. Um, and that's because I'm trying to, you know, introduce new snacks for for people's pets to kind of enjoy something different, right? So similar 
you know, to a human charcuterie board. I'm not looking for my basic, like, you know, cheese. I want to eat the fancy cheese. I want to try the fancy, you know, salami or I want, you know, these like, you know, fancy flavored things or, you know, the fancy strawberries. And so, um, you know, I, I take that inspiration from the culinary world and, and take it pretty seriously for, for the wag boards. And, you know, again, I get it. It's dog treats, but it's also, you know, a commitment for me to support other fellow small business owners to try to support local when I can, because it's just something that's important to me. So if I can build that into, you know, my small business, why not? So fun. How did you go about sourcing? Do you just do the research and then with these unique ingredients, how do you go about that? Yeah, so it's a mix of, yeah, it's a mix of researching and finding suppliers that kind of, um, you know, meet the values that I have a, a small business. And then it's also a lot of um, consultation. I've asked my vet a few times about, you know, their thoughts about certain, you know, fruits and veggies, because I want to make sure that everything I offer is dog safe, right? And so, you know, I'm not putting things that are bad or poisonous or toxic, you know, on the boards. And so, um, you know, a mix of consultation with with those in the in the industry, as well as kind of researching and just trying to figure out like what other small businesses kind of have similar values and align and then and then going from there. Um, and it's been really cool to kind of continue to nurture those relationships and also like find new businesses to work with as well. And so it's kind of a a long process of um, thinking about, you know, canine nutrition and also thinking about, you know, small business sourcing and then thinking about how all that aligns with the values um, that I have myself. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Is it challenging to be cost effective and um, have a profit margin with with the unique and exotic ingredients and also being a small business and all of the things that you have to consider? Yeah, it is. It's something that I think about actually often because the cost of everything has increased since I started this business, right? And that's, I think, a reality for all small business owners as well as that just the cost of goods has in continued to increase. And what does that mean? And so my commitment to sourcing, you know, kind of these more unique novel proteins and working with small businesses means my profit margin might be smaller, but it means I'm putting out a product that I'm really proud of, right? And so for me, knowing that I have done the research. I'm really proud of the suppliers and other small businesses that I work with. And I'm putting out a, a product that I'm really proud of um, and can stand behind. And that to me is, is really valuable. And so then it's thinking about how I share my story and share those values with potential customers and repeat customers, right? Um, because I, you know, I know like people can, yeah, you can make your own at home. Absolutely. And I, and I love that. I love seeing, you know, when people get creative and, and make their own, but for me thinking about product development, it's making sure I stay committed to my values. And that may mean for me, it costs me a lot more, you know, to purchase like venison, for example, than it would be to get, you know, probably like chicken jerky from the store. But, you know, for me, it means I develop a good relationship with a supplier. It means I'm supporting another fellow small business owner. Um, you know, it means I I know like where a lot of the food actually is grown or comes from, which to me is really cool. And so, you know, I think there's a pro and con to everything. And so that's kind of where I'm at right now. Maybe someday I'll hit, um, you know, revenue in a way that allows for even more bulk ordering, which would save costs. Um, right now I am I'm ordering it in bulk. Um, you know, what, like five, 10, 15 pounds at a time. I got an order of like 40 pounds of sweet potatoes to my house uh, earlier this week. And, you know, that sounds like a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, 40 pounds is nothing compared to, you know, those big box retailers that get like thousands of pounds. And so, you know, I'm not trying to compare myself to, to other like large scale businesses. And I'm just trying to focus on scaling where it makes sense um, for me. And, and this is where I'm right now, right? So sharing the story, sharing why, you know, I source the way I source and hopefully, you know, people understand and appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. How has the business evolved over time? You've added workshops and toys. Yeah, I have. So yeah, I started with, you know, boards first and then thinking of non-perishable versions of that. I developed a little doggy dim sum steamer, which was really fun as a nod to my, you know, culture and heritage. And so thinking of items that I could get um, that, you know, are served at dim sum that I could get like dehydrated. So for example, there's like a duck foot in the dim sum steamer. There's tripe that's dehydrated. And those are things that you can actually get at like people dim sum. <laughs> 
So that was a really fun product. Um, I did start adding toys. Usually they're like food themed toys to be, you know, really on brand. And I sourced those also from fellow small businesses. Um, and it's been really cool to be able to support, you know, dog toy small business companies as well. So that's kind of how that product development has happened. Workshops are, yeah, another avenue of kind of product development, but really just kind of community building and education. I get to teach people, you know, the tips and tricks and secrets to, you know, how I make my boards. Um, but the workshops really, I truly love them so much because I get to meet fellow dog lovers, right? You stick a bunch of dog lovers in a room together and like you can't get us to shut up, right? Like we all like show pictures of each other's dogs. We talk about our dogs. We talk about, you know, adoption stories or rescue stories. Um, and so for me, workshops are, yes, it's it's educational because I get to you know, share about my brand and, and how I build a board. But more than all of that, it's really like, it's just like a fun hangout session, <laughs> really, you know, with other people. Um, a lot of people have asked about, you know, doing virtual workshops, which I have put off doing, but I think I'm going to see if I can do that, you know, in the future so that folks who aren't local to Metro Atlanta can maybe tune in and have fun and, and you know, meet friends as well um, in the virtual space. So I think that that's something I will be working on in the future. I don't I don't want to put a timeline to it, but enough people have asked about it that I think it might be worth um, investing in virtual workshops too. Love that. I'll definitely sign up. <laughs> what does the day-to-day -day look like? Yeah, so every day looks different. Um, we've talked about before how I have a full-time job. So my Monday through Friday means I am fulfilling orders before work or after work. Um, I'm doing customer service emails, you know, on my lunch break and, you know, at night. Um, on the weekends, though, it looks a little bit different because I have more time to dedicate to my small business. So if I'm not doing a pop-up or an event, which those are usually on the weekends, I'll probably be, you know, fulfilling orders, um, answering, you know, customer questions and emails, doing a bunch of social media, right? Like prepping on the weekends for, you know, a week or a month's worth of um, social media planning. Um, sometimes I'll read like, you know, culinary blogs just to see like what's up, you know, in the food world to see if that can spark an idea, you know, for a new project or, um, you know, a new themed snack pack. Um, I do spend, you know, a lot of time with my own dogs as well, of course. So, you know, taking them on walks, doing little training sessions. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's, that's like what a typical weekend looks like. If there's a weekend where, you know, I have a day full of deliveries I'm doing deliveries. And then the next day I'm doing all the stuff that I just mentioned. And I cram, you know, two days of work into one day. I'm doing an event, um, right? Like this weekend, I have an event on Saturday, which means Sunday I'll probably be spending most of my time, you know, catching up on all the, you know, behind the scenes um, business stuff. But it's manageable because I do set boundaries, right? So my local deliveries, I only do them on Saturdays and Sundays and only on select weekends. I don't do them during the week because it just would be unmanageable for me. Um, with a full-time job and just the scheduling of everything. Um, and then I set, for me, pretty realistic shipping um, guidelines where shipping, you know, when someone places an order right now, my shipping turnaround is max five to seven business days. Sometimes people place an order on the same day that I'm fulfilling orders. So it's like a one-day turnaround. Um, but, you know, I, I set realistic expectations for shipping. I'm not Amazon, right? Like I can't, I can't, I don't have a warehouse where I can ship immediately. And so for me, it's setting those expectations so that I can get the work done for the small business, you know, on top of the the other priorities I have, you know, at home and at work too. Crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> Superwoman. What is the busiest time of year? Uh, so it always is the holidays, right? That's the bus busiest time. Um, I launched a new product last year, which I'm going to do again this year, which is little doggy advent calendars, right? So for for Christmas. And I'm hoping to work on one for Hanukkah as well to kind of expand this year. Um, so yeah, the holidays are very busy. And so that's like anywhere from honestly, between like Halloween through like Christmas and Hanukkah and the end of the year is really busy. This year, surprisingly, though, for 2023, Valentine's Day ended up being super, super popular. And so um, that was a surprise to me, but I thought, oh, well, we love our dogs. Why not, you know, use Valentine's Day to celebrate that? So, so far this year, you know, and we're, you know, in the in the summer right now, the busiest time for me was Valentine's Day. So we'll see, you know, the holidays, um, you know, sweep sweep over Valentine's Day in terms of of orders and, and revenue. Um, but yeah, it's any like 
holiday where there's celebration of loved ones, uh, it tends to be an uptake in, in sales and orders because our dogs are our loved ones too, right? So, you know, like Mother's Day, I'll get, you know, an uptake of orders. Yeah, I think I mentioned Halloween, Thanksgiving, yeah, Christmas and Hanukkah the new year and then I do do a lot of special stuff for the lunar new year as well just again as a nod to my culture and so yeah there's there's no shortage of holidays for people to celebrate their dogs which is exciting but if I had to guess I have a feeling that the holidays like December will probably be the busiest time again this year. I love that you prioritize sourcing from fellow small businesses you stated several times in this interview and on your website that when you choose wide boards, you're not only treating your pup to something extraordinary, you're also nurturing the spirit of small business collaboration. Why is that so important to you? Yeah, you know, the more that I reflect on how I've become successful as a small business owner, I realize it's because of other people, you know, lifting and supporting me. And so I wanted to think of a way to give back to others who have given so much to me. And I thought, well, what better way than to support other small businesses, right? To support that fellow small business and entrepreneurial network because I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have the support from others. So if I'm in a position now where I can give back to other people, like how great would that feel, right? And so that's why it remains a priority for me to, to you know, to know, you know, the folks that I'm sourcing from. And so that's really for me just a, a core value and, and you know, I'm really big on relationships and kind of building strong connections with others. And it's not just a, a transaction, but, you know, this is, a, oh, how are you doing? You know, what's going on in your life? You know, also, you know, I need a bunch of venison. If I need, you know, I need to get my shrimp. Um, And oh, by the way, like, how's your how's your new baby? You know, and mm -hmm. for me, I love nurturing those relationships. And so being able to continue to support other small businesses is my way of you know, feeding and fulfilling that kind of relationship building that I really value. I love that. You've done some fun collaborations and limited editions. Can you tell me about some of your favorites and how they came to be? Yeah, I, oh gosh, there's so many favorites. Um, actually, right now, we just launched a collaboration with another uh, dog treat business and we're doing a little adventure themed wag board. And so there's like, a little campfire cookie, a little mountain cookie. You know, it says like s'mores treats, please. Uh -huh. So yeah, it's a super cute little outdoor adventure pup themed board, which I really love. Um, sometimes in the past, I've also worked with um, local businesses to do some boards. And so um, I was stocked at a local wine shop here in Metro Atlanta and we did a little summer themed board for them. So anyone that would go into their wine shop to pick up, you know, a bottle of wine or some snacks, um, could grab a little charcuterie board for their dog as well. That was really fun. Um, I did a collaboration with um, another single ingredient protein small business um, at the beginning of this year. So we did a little doggy dim sum steamer collab where I used their proteins like bison and, um, you know, duck foot in the little doggy dim sum steamer. And that was for Lunar New Year. So yeah, there've been, there've been so many others that I, I've I've done in the past that it's just been really fun to get, you know, creative and, and work collaboratively with other people. Oh, I love that so much. How far in advance do you typically, like, let's say for the holidays, when do you start planning for these things? Yeah, I mean, so for collaborations, it's probably like months in the making, to be honest, because we have to talk about, you know, what we want, like what the vision for the board will look like or for the product you know, copy, social media, launch, thinking about, you know, when when I will ship the product to, you know, to to the other business. So it's like months in the making, Um, you know, for like the December holidays, for example, I've already been thinking about Christmas and I'm already getting like Christmas and Hanukkah and, and holiday things into my house, which is wild because I've been thinking about the December holidays since probably May or June, which is like, so wild to me. Um, other holidays, I'm probably not that much in advance. It's probably like seasonally. So we're about to be, you know, end of summer now. So I'm already thinking about fall. So that kind of, you know, maybe two or three months ahead of time. But that's kind of how the calendar works, right? For for small business. And, and because I source my ingredients from other small businesses, you know, I, I can't be like, oh, hey, I need like all of this stuff by tomorrow. Like that's, you know, that wouldn't be, you know, really proper uh, you know, etiquette. And so I really try to be intentional with planning ahead of time. But it does mean I think about 
holidays well in advance of the actual date now, which has been very interesting. <laughs> so like by the time December rolls around, I don't know, I might be like, okay, well, I've already thought about these holidays. So it's not as big of a deal to me now personally, because I've been thinking about it, you know, for like half a year. So funny. Yeah, I remember I barely got your Christmas edition. It was sold out so fast. I remember being on Instagram, like watching and you're like, I only have three more. And I went on immediately and had to buy it. So it is something that there is a demand. So listeners, go and make sure that you're on the list and buy quickly. Yes. (laughs) So one of the reasons I wanted to create this podcast is to highlight diversity in the pet space. Have you seen or noticed any shifts since you've entered? Yeah. And I, I really appreciate and love this question because that's something that's like near and dear to my heart as well is thinking of diversity in, in any avenue. Right. And so, um, I think that there's been, at least for me, I'm surrounded by a lot of women owned businesses, which I absolutely love. And so there's a lot of entrepreneurs who are women out there and everyone has been really supportive. So that I really love. And so for me, um, you know, numbers wise, I'm sure it's still a smaller percentage of small business owners and entrepreneurs and even, you know, CEOs who are women. But for me, I'm surrounded by that. And I love that so much. And so I feel like for me, it's it's everywhere. But I know, you know, the numbers on a larger scale, that might not be the case. And then um, in terms of race, I, I've actually had a lovely um, connection with so many other fellow Asian owned businesses, which has been really fulfilling. Um it's still a very small percentage in the grand scheme of, you know, small business owners and then entrepreneurs and CEOs. But for me, it's been really great to connect with others um, who are also Asian because it's kind of like cool to be like, oh, wow, we're all in this together. And we're having this, you know, shared experience of of being small business owners um, with, a, with a common shared identity. Um, I'm doing an event coming up. It's an Asian night market at one of the really popular food halls in Metro Atlanta. And I'm so excited. Um, Because I think I'm the only like pet industry person. Everyone else is like an actual like food, (laughs) small business. Um, But they, you know, they're starting like we have similar struggles as small business owners. So it'll be really cool to kind of build on that community as well. So personally, because I'm intentional and try to surround myself with like minded folks and with folks who, you know, share some common identity, I, I feel like I am surrounded by it. But I also know the bigger picture. It's still a very small percentage of folks who are small women or, you know, people of color who are entrepreneurs. And so for me to be able to contribute that, you know, as a person of one is still exciting, right? And to kind of push that envelope for diversity um, in the pet industry as well, right? Like I think about, you know, the dog accounts that are having the conversations about diversity in the pet pet field. That's really cool, right? And to be part of those conversations um, is really neat to kind of see how we can think about diversity um, in this space as well. Love that. Thanks for sharing. What have you learned about nutrition, health, wellness for dogs during this process? Yeah, so much, right? Like so much. I know canine nutrition can be very polarizing, I have learned in the dog world. And so I'm very quick to say I am not like a canine nutritionist, right? Um, but what I've done is I've researched best practices to the best of my ability, and I lean on people who are the professionals, right? So veterinarians who have gone to school, who have studied nutrition, right? You no know, vet techs and and other folks in industry. I really rely on their expertise um, because I know what I am not, and I'm not a pet nutritionist. And so I've really tried my best to look at evidence-based research when I'm thinking about food. So going beyond like the toxic things of what not to feed your dog, but also like being very clear that a wag board isn't necessarily a meal replacement, right? But it is a a treat. It's a snack and you know your dog best. So I'm not going to like prescribe what someone should give or shouldn't give to their dogs. Or if there's like a pet allergy, I will swap ingredients out so that if someone has an allergy to eggs or chicken, I'm not going to put that on someone's board. But obviously... Canine nutrition is is really individualized. And so I've learned so much about not just like what's quote unquote healthy or unhealthy for dogs, but also how do we think critically about what we feed our pets? And I don't think there's like a right or wrong way to feed our pets. That's very, very nuanced. The more I read about it and the more I kind of learn about canine nutrition. So I, I follow a couple of accounts of um, folks who are vets or folks who are have gone to school specifically for pet nutrition or dog nutrition. 
Um, and I really lean on the experts um, for that because I, I trust their, their expertise and, and their knowledge. And so, yeah, I, I really lean on that. And there's just, yeah, I feel like I'm constantly learning about um, dog like food as well, right? I, I do dog treats that the dog food industry is very interesting. So yeah, constantly learning. Yeah, I can imagine. What are some of the biggest challenges as you've continued to grow the business? Yeah, I think right now it's thinking about scaling. Um, having that reel go viral really made me realize like, oh, what would happen if all of a sudden I had like a bazillion percent increase in orders? Like, how would I fulfill this and and still do all the things that I need to do? Thinking about, you know, is there a way that I can plan ahead or, you know, maybe I can build boards like weekly um, instead of like as orders come in. How do I work on my schedule so that it's it's manageable to scale up? Um, or, you know, if I get a big order from a pet shop, how will I handle that on top of my regular orders? And so I think my biggest challenge right now is scaling um, and scaling in a way where I don't compromise my small business values. We touched on this a little bit, but there are so many skills necessary in entrepreneurship. Do you love doing it all or excel in specific areas? What don't you like doing? <laughs> yeah, I yes, it's it's hard to do it all. I think we talked about, you know, love hate with social media, but I do love it because I get to engage with people. I get to, you know, have conversations and DMs and, and you know, get to know other people on a more intimate level. Um, so that one's kind of love hate. I I mean, I really have come to appreciate the logistics and the behind the scenes. And I can say that now because I would say finances were a very hate hate <laughs> relationship for me. And then um, in the past year, I hired I hired an accountant, and she is amazing, and I love her. And so for me, figuring out you know where can I outsource so that I can focus on the things that I love doing, which is like building a board, making products, right? Um, creating content, I, I do enjoy still, but like the logistics of taxes and, you know, figuring out like gas mileage and, you know, profit statements and all of that, that's not a strong suit for me. And so now that I have my accountant who does all of that, now it's like, okay, I feel like I'm playing to my strengths and I have people I can lean on for the things that I'm not naturally good at, but that are critical, right, to the success of a small business. Like your numbers really matter. Um, and while it's fun to like take pictures of, you know, people eating or people's dogs eating blackboards, it's also really important to make sure, you know, I know what money's coming in, what's going out, you know, profit margins. Like it's not fun to talk about that, but it's really, really critical to the success of a small business. And so, yeah, I've kind of navigated that. Um, I think I mentioned earlier, I dipped into PR a little bit. And so having support there is really nice in like having someone to kind of think about, all right, what angle do I pitch to a website for a gift guide or, you know, how to get more eyes on my products, um, you know, beyond word of mouth? Because like I said, I haven't really done any advertising, honestly. And so if I can do some more, you know, uh, natural pitches to folks that might help my small business out as well. How do you deal with the pressure of entrepreneurship? Yeah, it's it's hard sometimes, right? And so I think for me, it's setting boundaries and making sure that I always have time for self-care, that I can do something that is not related to the small business that is really fulfilling. Sometimes that's like watching a show on Netflix while my dogs are on the couch. Other times it's, um, you know, other hobbies, right? Like I picked up roller skating last year <laughs> as a very <laughs> random hobby. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, maybe it's like skating for an hour on the weekend or going for a trail run. And so I need to remind myself, though, right, to do the other things that bring me joy. And so that's kind of how I, how I navigate that. And I And I really work hard at trying not to compare myself to others, right? Everyone has their own journey being an entrepreneur and we all have really, really similar, but also really, really different experiences. And so my journey is my journey and just focus on where I am. And that helps me not get caught in the comparison trap, right? Of like not feeling good enough. And so if I remind myself that I'm doing my best and my best is enough for the small business and I carve out that time for self-care, I feel like that's when I can like operate as my best self. Are there still times that you question whether or not to continue? When did you know that this would work? 
Yeah. Gosh, that's such a great, great question. I get asked often if I am like in a place where I want to like quit my full-time job to work on my small business. And at this time, no, for a whole number of reasons. Um, you know, I I love trying to balance both right now. They fulfill different parts of my brain, right? Like wagboards is really good for creativity and that kind of like fun artsy side of my brain that I don't often get to use. And so I really like to to nurture that. Um, and so, yeah, I it's a that's a really good question. But right now, I'm I'm you know trying to balance both. Um, it is hard, but to me, you know. The, the pros outweigh the cons. And so I, I don't want to quit. Um, if anything, it's just like wishing there are more hours <laughs> in the day to do everything. Yeah, it sounds like you're in an interesting place where you're trying to scale and still do the PR to gain that traction, but also not too much traction because <laughs> yeah. you're only one person. So you're kind of figuring out what makes the most sense for you. Yeah, that's like perfectly stated. That's that's exactly where I am right now. And, and I'm OK with that, right? Like I'm embracing whatever happens, happens. And, you know, if something comes at me that's unexpected, you know, it's all right. Well, then let's put my problem solving hat on and, and see if I can figure out, you know, how to navigate this this small business challenge or opportunity. You share a proud wagboard moment or a moment that made you feel fulfilled and like you're on the right path. Oh, yeah, there's there's so many. But um, one of the ones that I think of often is that I received a DM from someone whose dog was was at at the end of their life. Right. So they had a cancer diagnosis. They weren't doing well. And she had kind of a bucket list for all the things she wanted her dog to do, um, you know, before before the illness or the cancer got. Uh, too bad for the dog to enjoy anything. And so she had, you know, ordered a wag board and kind of requested maybe softer items. And so I did a, a little custom board um, for her. And, you know, she sent some pictures. And then weeks later, I received a message from from her. And it was so heartfelt that I, I felt like, I mean, I definitely cried reading it. But, you know, she said something along the lines of like, you know, you might think that this is just dog treats or, you know, something like silly or fun, but you helped me celebrate a dog that has been in my life for over a decade that has given me so much love and kindness. And, you know, her note was just so lovely. And it made me realize that like the impact sometimes can be so much greater than we realize, um, you know, the honor of helping her celebrate her whole entire dog's, you know, life. Um, and to be there at the very end was just so powerful and made me realize that like, yeah, sure. At the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, it's something, it could be seen as something silly. It's, you know, a, a dog charcuterie board. Um, but it's so much more than that, right? Like we love our dogs so much and they're an extension of our family and of ourselves, you know, and of our soul. And so if the least I can do with this small business is help other people celebrate some someone that has given them so much joy in their life. Like, man, that's that's success to me, right? And so that specific moment, I was like, wow, okay. Like I I am doing something that's really meaningful. And this, you know, fills me with, you know, the warm fuzzies as well. I love that. And I'm choked up by <laughs> listening to that. I love that you're making these experiences. Thank you for what you do. Absolutely. Thank you. And it's been so lovely to see, yeah, the pictures from your past celebrations as well. Thanks. What are you excited about right now? Uh, so, oh gosh, so many things. Um, so I am, and I'm realizing like, well, if I speak this into existence, it means it's happening. Um, so there's a couple things that I can't talk about actually that I'm hoping I can share, um, you know, with my community later this year, if things pan out. Um, but the things that I can talk about, I'm thinking about doing, um, Something special for ha something special for Halloween this year, um, because I'm realizing that like it's it's another like really big holiday. Like people love dressing up, people love you know like doing all these special things. Um, I did you know expand on my Advent calendar idea this year, and I did a countdown for Valentine's Day. So I really want to try to make something happen for Halloween and do like a little you know countdown for Halloween. Um, so that's kind of in the works. Um, and then. I'm really excited for the holidays again, like just kind of, you know, thinking about what this year's um, doggy advent calendar is going to look like. Um, I have a couple of local markets that I've already signed up for that I'm really excited about as well. So just kind of 
yeah, continuing to spread that love and excitement um, for WAG boards and and helping other people, you know, create really special memories. Um, and those are, yeah, those are the things that I can talk about that I'm like really excited about right now. Amazing. So what's the ultimate goal so that we can support you and your work? How can we support you and your work? Yeah, that's a great question. The ultimate goal is to to help as many people as possible, like celebrate their dogs, right? And for me, as a small business owner, obviously, we're always trying to, you know, get more eyes on our product and, and get more people to notice us. And so, you know, for me, any any interaction, whether it's an email or following on, you know, social media or ordering or passing my name on to local dog stores, all of that is appreciated. Um, but yeah, the the big goal really is to continue to do what I'm doing now and and to not, you know, compromise on the things that I value in the process. And and that's that's the big one. I know that's not like quantifiable a certain percent growth um, or XYZ. But for me, it's it's really that relational piece. It's if I can keep helping other people celebrate their dogs, then that makes me really happy. And if that means helping more people celebrate with more of their dogs, that that's even better. Um, but I really value, yeah, the relationships I've built, like the amazing people I've been able to connect with because of this small business um, it's just been so fulfilling in all these other ways I wasn't expecting, you know, when I first started my business. So that's, that's the goal. It, maybe it's a little cheesy, but for me, that's kind of what I'm focusing on. I loved you sharing your story. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you, what you're doing, what you're doing for your community, other small businesses, dogs, humans. You're incredible. Thank you so much for being such an awesome person and giving me this opportunity. Um, you know, our dogs deserve fancy treats too. And so if that's what I am put on earth to do, I will keep doing that. So thank you so much for your time. I love it. Thank you. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. If you want to continue the conversation, be sure to subscribe to my newsletter. The link is in the show notes. Here's a quick reminder to subscribe to this podcast. You can be the first to know when new episodes drop. All you need to do is open your favorite listening app, search for Mother of Dogs, and hit the little plus sign or follow button in the upper right corner. I'll see you back here every other Sunday for a new episode.